Everybody, we are live. It is Cowboy Metals live stream. It is Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. Welcome everybody to the program. We'll give it a minute or two for people to load in and YouTube algorithm to let people know we are here. We'll give it a minute or two. And it looks like we got the sound check. Everything is a go on YouTube. Thank you everybody for joining. Today, we're going to talk about the latest research I have from the Office of the Comptroller of the, Cur the Currency the OCC, along with the Basel III requirements. I'm going to give you an update on Basel. I'm going to talk about bank solvency. I'm going to talk specifically about uh, whether the banks uh, can or will make it. And I'm going to talk to you about how that affects gold and silver, because gold and silver is both in the liquidity measures, as well as it would be affected by systemic issues in the banking system. Obviously, with my title, which is why the banking system is now facing systemic collapse, it's actually nothing new. It was facing systemic collapse back in 2007, 2008 with the Lehman crisis. And I'll argue here that despite the adoption of Basel III standards by the central banking system and the commercial banks across the Western, uh, the Western world, that it hasn't really gotten better. It's got worse. And I'll, I'll use graphs and charts from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. I'm also going to spend a long time explaining this stuff because it's pretty difficult. Remember to vote in the poll. The poll is, are the banks really solvent? This is in your eyes and vote, of course, before you see the presentation and after it. There's a yes and a no answer. And then there's a depends upon the situation. The reason I put a very vague depends upon the situation is because I suspect that uh, there's a lot, well, I know that there's a lot of nuance to this and it's not an easy thing at all. And so I wanted to leave an answer in there for those of you that think, you know, this is really interesting information, but I still have my questions. Let me go do my research. So that answers in the poll for you as well. Thank you everybody for joining. Quick sound check. Sound looks okay. Welcome everybody to the program. Glad you're here. Once again, this is Robert Keynes of goldsilverpros.com. We're talking about the risk of systemic bank collapse today. We broadcast from the great state of Texas, as you can tell me, donning my cowboy hat. And we take no BS. That is a promise from me to you. I am a former auditor and a former analyst in a lot of different markets. I've written on the markets for over 12 years, wrote a book, uh, have a lot of experience in this space. I haven't been following just for the last couple of years. I've been on YouTube. Remember, I've done this for 12 years before. I used to have some licenses, Series 3, 6, 63, and 7, no longer carry those. Been a real estate investor for over 20 years, uh, have been following the gold silver market for 12 years and writing about them and investing in them. So I'm pretty well experienced in what I talk about. I know that there are people out there that will try to convince you that anybody on social media doesn't know anything because they don't have some sort of official title behind their name or they don't work for a big bank. I'm here to tell you that that is not true. Uh, if you're a good analyst, you're a good analyst. It doesn't matter where or what format you put your information. It depends more upon the information that you provide. And I'm going to provide you guys, I think, a very detailed look at um, what's going on with the banking system now and how that can affect gold and silver. And specifically, we're going to take a look deep into the silver and gold derivative markets using data from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, as well as some other data sources from the BIS and the FRED, uh, which is the uh, database and the graphics engine for the uh, Federal Reserve. All right, as we get people loaded in, there are 78 people here. I think it's safe to get started. Let's go ahead and, and get that share on. And there's a lot here, guys. I'm gonna warn you, this is gonna be a bit of a long one. It's better to do it all at once and have you watch the video a couple of times than it is for me to break it up into multiple pieces. Because if I think if I do that, you may lose the stream or, or lose the thought if that makes any sense. All right, so we'll go ahead and get started. I'm gonna first open a PowerPoint and present you guys some information. And I'm also gonna switch between a PowerPoint, which I'm presenting some selected information and present you the source reports. That way you have the source reports and know what they are and you know where I got that information from. You're not just trusting something that I screenshotted and put into a PowerPoint presentation. So I wanna make sure that you guys can see this uh, so I'm real quick. I'm going to check the stream and make sure that you guys, yeah, you guys are seeing the report. So this is bank insolvency risk, gold and silver derivatives risk report. We're going to tie together Basel III and something called the SACCR, which I'll define for you here in a moment. And again, I want to make sure that you guys are seeing this on the screen. So I'm alt tabbing out to the YouTube screen and make sure that you guys are good. You're seeing the presentation. All right. Now, remember, before we start, I want to remind you that this stuff is complex and hard. So if you don't understand everything I'm telling you today, if you're not a banking guy or an auditor or somebody with this type of experience, it's okay. I'm not expecting you to get everything that we say the first time through. 
Uh, we'll do our best to explain it to you. You may want to watch the video several times and ask questions via comments and Twitter. And putting comments in Twitter and putting comments in the YouTube video here or on Rumble or BitChute, wherever you happen to be seeing it, or on Gab, because we're on all of those places. Or if you're listening to the podcast, which is out now on Apple, Google, and Spotify, uh, you know, send questions to my mailbox, Robert goldsilverpost.com. And if need be, I'll do some follow-up videos to break down some of the concepts and do more explanation because I want to make sure that everybody's armed with the right information, knows where the information came from, understands my interpretation of it, has their opportunity to do their own homework and research and interpretation. And we have a good community response to this and everybody can chat through this and talk about it and make your own, draw your own conclusions. Please don't just listen to mine. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. This is just research that I put out there for the benefit of you guys, because I, I think it will be helpful to you. And it's something that I wanted to make sure you guys were aware of. And before I go further, I'm just going to do another quick sound check. So I'm going to pop back out. Looks like we're going strong. Okay, I'm going to pop back into the presentation. And again, thank you guys for joining. I do appreciate you spending time with me on your Tuesday evening. All right, here we go. So definition of terms. There are a whole bunch of terms I could have put in here. I could have put a hundred of them, honestly, through reading through this material. I'm just going to put three that I'm going to predominantly talk about that you may not know or understand. If you want to dive deeper into this, jump into the source material. I'm going to provide you the names and, and you're going to see those documents in this presentation. We're going to talk about the SACCR. What is that? Well, as with Basel III, uh, came a lot of new terms and new concepts because Basel III was essentially the response to the Lehman event and the mortgage crisis 2008-2009. They created a bunch of new standards starting in 2012, published in 2014, and amended many times therein that have attempted to both measure bank uh, solvency risk and solve bank solvency risk in light of the issues we had before. Now, if you watch my channel, you know I've done a lot of stuff on Basel III, more specifically in regard to NSFR, net stable funding ratio, and how that could affect the gold and silver markets, specifically the derivative markets. But I've touched on other parts of Basel III, and that's what I'm going to do here. I will tie it to gold and silver. Those will be tied throughout the entire presentation, so don't worry. You are here to view a gold and silver report because we are gold and silver pros, but we have to understand all the regulatory framework around that derivatives market and and the insolvency risk to the banks, which basically are major participants in it, uh, who hold those derivative positions in gold, silver. And I'll show you a chart which shows that there are four major ones. And the other 1,287 aren't as involved. And then I'm going to say if, I'm going to explain how if the banking system has a, uh, an insolvency event or issues with that, how it could affect gold and silver positively. All right. Basel III, of course, as you know from watching my channel, is a set of banking standards proposed in 2014 and amended many times since for the purpose of establishing tighter standards with regard to bank capital risk and liquidity. Uh, the OCC is the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, U.S. government, and there's a report in here that I'm going to talk about. Now, I am going to show you some screenshots in the presentation, but I'm going to go back to the source documents as well. So just trust that I have copied these from those documents. You can go view those for yourself. Again, I'm sharing information. I want you guys to have it. So what is the risk or what is risk in terms of bank solvency in the banking system and the derivatives market, which we're going to be talking about here, which includes gold and silver derivatives? Well, as the Basel Committee defines it in their document, the minimum capital requirements for market risk. It is the boundary between the trading book and the banking book and the scope of application of the minimum capital requirements for market risk as defined by the BIS. Scope of application of methods of measuring risk, market risk, and this is the important part right here. Market risk is defined as a risk of losses arising from movements in market prices. The risks subject to market risk capital charges include, but are not limited to, default risk, interest rate risk, credit spread risk, equity risk, foreign exchange risk, and commodities risk for changing uh, for trading book instruments, and foreign exchange risk and commodities risk for banking book instruments. Now, I'm not going to dive into each one of those areas. I'm just going to show you the stuff that was important to me as it relates to gold and silver derivatives and bank solvency. But trust me, there's a whole bunch of information here if you want to get into each one of those types of risk and all of the very complex mathematical calculations that the BIS has laid out to, to try to capture all this. The bigger point being, and I'll get to that in a minute, there are tons of assumptions in here, which if any of those assumptions uh, doesn't go according to plan or doesn't, uh, you know, the assumptions are wrong, 
in any way by the people that put the system together, the whole system itself could collapse. And that's the biggest risk. It's not the individual default risk, interest rate risk, credit spread risk, equity risk, all these risks. The risk is that the assumptions made on this system to try to determine and shore up the banking solvency is itself the biggest risk because it relies on so many assumptions and complex math and abstract concepts, which are not necessarily concrete and or proven throughout history with regards to money systems. All right. Now, I've done a lot of explanation up front. Let's dive into it. Who's involved? Well, per the Office of Comptroller of the Currency, the banks and other institutions but we're going to focus on the banks. So during the first quarter of 2022, four large commercial banks represented 89% of the total banking industry notional amounts and 68.8% of industry net current credit exposure. There were 1,291 entities participating, a lot of them banks, but derivatives were dominated by four large banks. Who are those banks? I'm going to break out of this share and I'm going to show you. And again, I'm going to go back and forth between all of these things to explain them to you. And I'll get to the charts in a moment. We'll go back to the presentation first and then I'll get to the actual breakouts. So going back to the presentation, what are the derivative risks? Well, insured US commercial banks and savings associations collectively called banks by the BIS reported trade, I'm sorry, the OCC, reported trading revenue of about 10.6 billion in the first quarter of 2022, 3.4 billion more or 47.8% more than the previous quarter and 10 million more than a year earlier. Credit exposure, and I'll show you the, that table in a minute. Credit exposure from derivatives increased in the first quarter of 2022 compared to with the fourth quarter of 2021. The NCCE, and I'll explain that later, decreased 49 billion or 13.8%. Derivative notional amounts increased in the first quarter by 22.9 trillion or 12.9%. So overall, this is the big number you need to know, 200.4 trillion of derivative exposure to the banks. I included all of this information from this report to give you context, but the main thing I'm going to focus on is that 200.4 trillion. That's the big number and the one that you need to know. Last point, derivative contracts remain concentrated in interest rate products, which totaled 145.9 trillion or 72.8% of total derivative notional amounts. Again, this is from the OCC report. This is not mine. I just copied it. Here's the most stunning omission from that OCC report, which I'll show you in a minute. Two paragraphs. And I've got the stunning stuff highlighted in black, okay? And it just goes to show these complex systems we put together are based on a bunch of assumptions in which they don't really know the truth. And so they don't know if it's going to turn out the way in which they've designed the system to work. Because it's not governed by natural laws in which we can kind of figure out what they are, like physical laws and monetary laws and kind of put together an approach of managing money. It's complex math and complex financial system put together by humans, which is vastly imperfect. And that is showing here in this admission from the OCC. They say, counterparty credit risk is a significant risk in bank derivative trading activities. The notional amount of a derivative contract is a reference amount that determines payments, blah, blah, blah. The credit risk is a derivative contract is a function of an, in a derivative contract is a function of a number of variables, such as whether counterparties exchange notional principal, the volatility of the underlying market factors. We talked about that before, all these risks. And the maturity and liquidity of the contract and the credit worthiness of the counterparty. In other words, no guarantees. Credit risk and derivatives differs from credit risk and loans. Think of a traditional bank loan for a house or a car, for example, because of more uncertain nature of potential credit exposure, meaning there's another counterparty, not just the borrower, but the other bank issuing you the derivative or on the other side of the derivative. There's more risk, in other words, in the derivative market than there is in a traditional loan market. That's very key to understanding the real risk that could be exposed in the banks. Be reading further, because the credit exposure is a function of movements and market factors, banks do not know and can only estimate, emphasis, do not know and can only estimate how much the value of a derivative contract might be at various points in the future. So in other words, the entire gold and silver derivative market, the entire commodity derivative market, the entire interest rate derivative market, the entire derivative market over equities, all of the derivative markets cannot be known and no company or no regulatory agency or no rating agency can possibly tell you what any of those derivatives can be worth in the future because of all these moving market factors, which are determined by who, ladies and gentlemen, not just the banks, but by you and me based on our everyday economic activity 
and the economic activity of people outside of the United States as well, because all of these markets are tied together. So what they're saying here is, because the credit exposure is a function of movements and market factors, i.e. the people and the institutions participating globally, banks do not know and can only estimate, okay, cannot nail it down, they can only estimate with some level of, an, of unsureness how much the value of a contract might be at various points in the future. So if anybody tells you that they know that derivatives are marked to market and it's correct and they can predict to you what's going to happen at derivative market, uh-uh, can't happen. The Office of the Comptroller of the Currency says that can't happen. Okay. Uh, banks are saturated in trade gains. So I want to show you how much money the banks are making on all these derivatives. On interest rate derivatives, up a thousand percent in the year. So it's interesting to note that the banks are making money hand over fist, a billion, I'm sorry, first quarter 2022, $403 million on interest rate derivatives, which is a 1,051% increase, top line here on the chart, on this first chart, when interest rates are rising. So who makes money when interest rates rise? The banks, because they're plating the, tr the derivatives. Foreign exchange risk between trading different currencies. Well, there's six billion that the banks made in the first quarter of 2022, but that's net net the same as last year. Equities down 39%, commodities up 86%, and credit derivatives down 3.1%. Credit derivatives includes things like mortgage-backed securities and others. If you read the report, that's that's documented in there. Now they have the bank revenue, and then they have the holding company. A lot of banks are organized under holding companies, and the holding company itself can trade, as explained by the OCC. I'm not going to get into that. But they've, they're down 75% on interest rate, up 27 on foreign exchange, down on equity, up on commodity, and down on credit. So the banks are doing pretty well overall, but there are areas in which the derivatives are in, under risk. But notice they're positive on commodity where the precious metals live. Why? I say because they, they're the big four, biggest four traders on those markets and because they dominate the short positions typically on the gold and silver as as we see in the COT report. Now, I'm not going to show you a COT report today, the commitment of traders from the CFTC, which is a regulatory agency, but I'll show you in the next video. But the risk is also climbed with the bank's exposure. Interest rate risk, FX risk, equity risk, overall, the risk has gone down. Now, the first table is risk from the bank to other parties that hold their stuff. The risk is down net 2.2%, but it's up a lot in commodities, 184%, as a matter of fact. Uh, risk to the bank from other parties has gone down 3.3%, but it's up in commodities, up 165.2%. So as they've made more money and in increased their exposure to the metals derivative markets, the banks have also increased their risk. Meaning if the trade goes against them on the COMEX and these other metals derivative markets, it could cause an insolvency risk in the banks. And that is blatantly clear in the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency report. Net credit exposure by counterparty types as a percentage of total net credit exposure. What does this say? It shows you who's holding all the derivatives. Banks and firms, first quarter 2022, 35.7%. Corporates, another 57.2%. So hedge funds and governments don't own much. The banks and corporates own most of it. That's the top line here. And they've increased it. The corporates have increased it. And the banks have slightly decreased it. Now, this is all derivatives, not just metals derivatives. Banks covered best. Okay, so what this chart shows, table seven shows, fair value collateral to net exposure. What is fair value collateral? It means, do you have stuff to offset your risk? Collateral, for example, you buy a house, you get a loan on the house, the house is worth 500, you get a loan for 400. The bank is covered because they can always take back your house, sell the house and supposedly get their money back. That's collateral. So what the banks have done is they've insured themselves against this derivative exposure by using collateral. The question is, what type of collateral are they using? Well, before we get to that, we want to show that the banks and securities firms, we believe, and why most people think the banks are solvent is because they've covered all their risk with more collateral. When this is over 100%, which it is for the first quarter, they have more stu real stuff, tangible stuff, covering their derivative risk. Um, the finances don't, the sovereign governments don't, but the hedge funds and banks have supposedly covered their risk. Okay, so you would think that, ah, there's no risk there, they're covered. But if you dig in the details, you find something different. The majority of collateral held by banks 
is very liquid, according to Office Comptroller of the Currency, their language. 66.7% held in cash and 7.6% held in treasuries. You get the 66% if you take uh, held in cash, US dollar and other currencies as these two numbers. And treasuries, you get seven plus US government, 7.6. And then you got other stuff. Well, what happens if any of these markets melt down? What happens if the value of cash falls? Doesn't that raise risk to the banks? Yes. Whether it be the US dollar or the other, they could lose 20.4% of their derivatives exposure, the banks could, if the other currencies fail. Even if the dollar stays up, they could lose 20.4% of their coverage if any of the other, if all the other currencies begin to fail or lose value. And if the US dollar begins to fail, half of their coverage roughly, or currencies total, about two-thirds of their coverage is in currencies. So if the fiat currency system in the world ever comes under extreme pressure, guess what happens to the banks? They lose coverage, insurance, if you will, on their derivative exposure. And it means if the derivative market busts, they have no backup, they have no plan B. That's a huge risk. That's the end of that presentation. I'm going to drop out of that, take a moment to answer questions, and then I'm going to get into the source reports. And I got a bunch of more charts to show you, which are probably easier to understand than what I just showed you. If you have questions, remember super chats are open. If you put it in the super chat, I guarantee I'll answer your question. I'll try to get to other questions in the regular chat if I can. We're going to take a bit of a break from the information. We're going to talk, answer a couple of questions, and we'll get back in. Remember, we have to pace ourselves. We have to take time. We may have to watch this a couple of times. And if you guys need me to cover anything, again, ask it in the chat, please. Super chat preferred, but any chat, and I'll try to get to it. And also email me or hit me up on Twitter, and I'll go back and do a more detailed video on the aspect which you need help with. Just remember that. And remember, if you don't understand what the heck I'm talking about the first time through, it's okay. It's complex. The banking system is complex. You get complex systems when you're dealing with fiat currencies and derivatives and all this other stuff and the rampant speculation that goes on. This is a man-made complex system, which, by the way, I think is much more complex than the natural monetary system we have, which is gold and silver. But there you have it. All right. Quick check on the poll was, are the banks really solvent? 9% say yes. 72% say no, good for you guys, because I don't think they are in my opinion. And 18% depends upon the situation. I think that's also a good answer because the last chart I showed you talked about their collateral, the cash, the bonds, all that stuff. If any of that comes under pressure, the banks become unsolvent from a Basel III SACCR perspective, okay? That's wise to know because what do we have in the bond market? Rising interest rates. What happens to the existing face value of bonds in a rising interest rate environment? It goes down. So what happens to the banks? They have less collateral to cover their derivatives positions when bond rates are going up. What's been happening in bond rates in the US and other places in the world lately? Been going up. What happens when the value of cash, whether it be the dollar, the yuan, or whatever, falls relative to the value of other goods in society? Meaning the purchasing power falls of these currencies, which it has been basically for the last 12 years. It means the banks take on more risk. Why? Because their cash collateral that they have to insure against derivative exposure reduces. That cash will buy less. It covers less. Does it make sense? A couple of things I want you guys to understand. Now we're going to get back into going through the individual reports. I'm going to narrate this whole thing. I'll take your, qu your questions and I'll get specifically to gold and silver. Trust me, I'm going to get super heavy into gold and silver here in just a sec, but I needed to explain the environment first and some of the data around these reports so we can dive into the gold silver stuff. So stay here, we'll get it all to you. Don't worry and we'll cover it again if we need to. Don't worry, that's what I do on my channel. You're gonna see stuff here you never see anywhere else because nobody, I guess, is interested in or understands or is anal retentive enough probably to cover this stuff, but I will and you're only gonna see it here. And I wanna make sure, however, that you understand it and we're doing a good job. So I'm gonna pause multiple times in. Going back to the reports, now I'm gonna open a browser window. I'm showing you a document from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. That is an entity with the United States government. You'll know them from, uh, for example, whenever you go to the bank and they say your deposits are insured up to $250,000, this is the group that does it. Now they're only insured 1% in real funds up to 250, so there could still be a bank run. <laughs> Or if there was a bank run, you could still lose your money. But in any case, there is an insurance scheme. The FDIC basically 
manages that. They also have a paper here on SACCR, the new term that I just explained to you, the standardized approach for counterparty credit risk. What is that? Again, it's the way in which banks determine if they're solvent, they have liqu enough liquidity to offset their speculative positions, namely the derivatives for which I have been talking about in the previous part of this presentation. Okay, if you, if you have questions about that, ask them and I'll explain it. So it goes on to talk about overview of this SACCR. I'm not going to read this. I just want you to know that I understand what the SACCR is because I went to a source document. I'm just showing this and showing the URL here for you. You can look it up, FDIC, in the name of the document, and you will find it on Google. It'll be on the first page, I promise. And you can read through, but it talks about the SACCR, the change in 2017 from the old system, which was a CEM. You see that mentioned here to the SACCR. You don't got to know all that stuff, but if you want to know, it's all in here. And they talk in general about about six pages. This is the short white paper, ladies and gentlemen. This is the one you read if you want to go to the big one. What's the big one? Well, it's the one from the BIS. And here it's on BIS.org, BCBS publication 279. You can look it up. This was done in 2014. Remember when I said the standards came out in 2014 and have been amended since? This is one of the original 2014 documents. And I just want to explain some things here. I'm going to go through different pages. We're going to page one intro. So let's go to page one of the intro. And uh, let me close my search. Okay. This document presents the Basel Committee's formulation for the SACCR, the standardized approach for credit uh, counterparty risk or counterparty credit risk. In formulating the CCR, the com committee's main objectives were to devise an approach that is suitable to be applied to a wide variety of derivatives transactions, is capable of being implemented, addresses known deficiencies on the previous system, draws on traditional approaches, blah, 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 blah. So all of that is just information to let you know what it is, where the document is, you can find it. I'm gonna highlight commodity derivatives. That's when we get to the precious metals and other commodities for which the metals are a part. There's four hedging sets are employed for different classes of commodities, one each for energy, metal, agriculture, and other. A hedging set just means if you got different metals, they're put together in a set. Think of like a, a deck of playing cards. You separate out all your hearts, you separate all, all of your spades, your clubs, your diamonds. That's what a hedging set is in commodity derivatives. Instead of those four suits and a deck of cards, you have the types of commodities, energy, metals, agricultural, and other. That's a hedging set. Within the same hedging set, Full offset is recognized, blah, blah, blah. They're just explaining what it is. I'm not gonna go through this document, you can read it. But I read through this document several times. Yes, I do understand SACCR and I do understand what they're trying to do here. And I'm just showing you some of the source documents so that you will understand them. We're gonna get into two. We already got into commodity derivatives. Paragraph three, or I'm sorry, page three, paragraph D. I wanna read that one to you. Here we go. Transitional arrangements. The Basel Committee recognizes that the SACCR introduces a significant change in methodology from the current non-internal model method approaches. In other words, when we had the Lehman meltdown, we weren't using SACCR. We were using something else, which was non-internal, i.e. not developed specifically by the BIS for this purpose. And so therefore, whatever what they're intimating is whatever we use to measure insolvency in the banking system before was imperfect. And we hold the SACCR is to be the next best system that we're devising. That's what they're saying. It says here, jurisdictions may need time to implement these changes. And they said it will become effective on the seven, uh, 2017. Now, obviously we're in 2022 and it just came into effect on January 1, 2022. So they're five years late in getting this through because nobody could comply with it. And a lot of people couldn't understand it. That's how freaking complicated it is. And remember, the law of complex systems is, is that the more complex they get, the harder they are to tie together and the easier they are to fall. And I would go as far as saying, after I read through this document, to use a colloquialism that we use here in Texas and in the South all the time, the banking system is held together by duct tape and bailing wire, and maybe if we're lucky, some chewing gum, okay? That's essentially what's going on here. I'm gonna to continue to show that as we go through the document. I wanted to talk about page 12 and supervisory factors because supervisory factors are another assumption that's based upon them pulling something out of the air that, that has all this complex math behind it. But essentially, it's, it, it's a mathematical concept 
that's not set in stone in terms of actual physical law. It's them using math to try to justify this system. And I would argue that the more complex math you get in here, who in the hell can understand all this? If it's just the mathematicians, how do you hold up an economic system based upon this? You know, just a thought. But here's what supervisory factor is. It's a factor specific to each asset class used to convert the effective notional amount into effective EPE based upon the measured volatility of the asset class. Each factor has been calibrated to reflect the effective EPE, EPE of a single at-the-money linear trade of unit notional from one-year maturity. This includes the estimate of realized volatilities assumed by supervisors for each underlying asset class. The main thing you need to know there is by assumed. I just wanted to point this out. The factors they're using to do this math with are assumed. In other words, you can have the most perfect mathematical equation, but if the factors or these variables that you're plugging into the mathematical equation are assumed and not known, then that whole equation comes under scrutiny for being potentially flawed. You're only as good as your assumptions. They teach you that in business school. And yes, I had two uh, years of calculus, calculus one and calculus two, where we did complex and we always talk about assumptions going into mathematical computations. These are assumptions, period, end of story. They're not facts. And the thought is assumptions create risk, maybe even bigger systemic risk if they're wrong. Assumptions are made by people. People are imperfect. We saw that in 2008, 2009. We've continued to see that as we've seen the economy begin to melt down. And we've had this large correction starting January of this year. All right, now I'm going to take a bit of a break, and then I'm going to get to the doozy report where we have all the figures, the easy-to-understand charts and stuff that will be easier to understand because I took all this time to explain what the heck I'm talking about, and we're going to get deeper into the gold-silver piece. Before I do that, take another quick break. We've been in this for about 30 minutes. I've hit you with a ton of stuff. Please use Super Chats or regular chat to ask questions. Email me or Twitter me and let me know. You know, reply on Twitter let me to the video post and let me know. If you have questions, I'll, I'll try to explain it there or do another video if need be, but I want to make sure you guys are following me. This is very, very complex stuff, and if you don't understand everything, it's okay. Colin Gooch says, you know what happens when you assume? That's right. You make an ass out of you and me, and also you could implode the global banking system. Gee, I don't know. All right, going back to the poll real quick. Are the banks really solvent? 12% say yes. 72% say no. 16% depend on the situation. Net, net, about 90% are saying not yes, but possibly, but probably not is how I would sum that. Thank you for voting in the poll. Leave the poll open till the end. We've already got 115 votes. Thanks everybody. 200 strong in the stream. You guys showed up today. I'm so glad. This is Rob Keats. We're resetting. Rob Keats. This is a live stream for June 28, 2022. Goldsilverpros.com and on the Gold Silver Pros YouTube channel. Why the banking system is now facing systemic collapse. I've showed you some of the elements of why it's facing systemic collapse, but wait until we get into the reports I'm about to show you. This is where I'm going to show you it's all a big ball of garbage, okay? And this is the good part. It's a big ball of garbage. Thank you, Peter Froine, for writing Shotgun and being the channel moderator. Peter shows up in every video. I need to pay the guy. Honestly, checks in the mail, Peter, because you got, you've been bit, such a big supporter. And thank you to the other channel moderators who don't always make it better here as well. Appreciate you guys helping us. Out. I know Michael and Steve come here all the time. And thank you, everybody, for the questions. I don't see any super chat questions right now on what we have talked about thus far. Um, I do see some comments. I'm trying to see if there are questions over what I've covered so far. Not seeing question marks in the chat. Um, Edge Brand Agency had an interesting uh, opinion. Easier for me to understand. Fugazis are everywhere and there are only a limited number of real things or liquidity make good on promises. Edge brand agency in that one sentence summarized my entire presentation. If it's not physical and it's not real and it's not liquid and you can't hold it in your hand, it's probably based upon some assumption that's garbage. That's essentially, that in a nutshell is a summary of all the garbage put out by the OCC and the BIS I'm going to talk about today. Thank you for summarizing that for me. That's absolutely perfect. Okay, here we go into the last part, guys. Are you ready? This is the money. This is the payoff shot. This is where we make our money on the video. We're going to get into the fun stuff. Now, I want you to know that I pulled this report from the OCC. So the previous report was the BIS one. And to reset, that is the 2014 paper on SACCR. I also looked at the FDIC uh, interpretation or explanation of CCR, which is more 
uh, current, so you know you have the current definition. I'm showing you up the, where I pulled the report from the quarterly report on bank trading and derivatives activities from the OCC, OCC.gov. And now I'm gonna show you that actual report. Okay, so I'll get to page 34 in a minute. This is the Office of the Comptroller of Currency. You see the URL, you see my source. It's right off the government website and making this stuff up. This is for first quarter 2022. It is the latest one produced by the OCC. We're first gonna go down to page 34. And this is the chart that I teased you guys on Twitter. Or no, it's not. We'll get to that in a minute. This is figure 10. When I said earlier that there are four banks that dominate the derivatives market, I'll show you which banks those are in a minute. But this is confirmation from the OCC that yet four mega banks dominate all the derivatives in the US market. That includes credit default swaps, mortgage backed derivatives, interest rate derivatives, swaps, credit default swaps, uh, all of the commodities complex, including the metals, dominated by four, four, count them, four banks. This is from the OCC. This is not conspiracy theory. Four. And I'm going to show you because they tell you who they are in the next couple of slides. Where are they exposed? Credit derivatives, options, swaps, and futures. What do we talk about most of the time when we talk about the COMEX and how the spot price is determined there based upon the futures derivatives? We talk about futures and forwards. Guess what? The top four dominate. So not only have we seen it in the COT report that the top four banks dominate the commodities markets, specifically gold and silver, we see it in the office of the comptroller of the currency, a second confirming source, both sources from the government, okay? It's not me saying it, it's them saying it. Who are the four banks? Based on percentage, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, Goldman. It's the top of each chart. If you can't see my cursor, JP Morgan right here, Bank of America, Citibank, Goldman own the majority of credit derivative, I'm sorry, just derivative risk, not just credit derivative, all derivative risk in the US market and by nature of that, the global market, because it's all intertwined and invested in each other. When we say four banks determine the, the overall liquidity market for the banking system, determine the derivative pricing, not only for precious metals, but other things like mortgage-backed securities and things like that. We're not joking. It's in the office of the comptroller of the currency report that's been there for years. It's not conspiracy, okay? What's the next one I want to show you? Let's go to page 39, quarterly trading revenue. I want to show you how the banks are making a mint, on not just on the metals markets, but all the derivatives. Quarter one of 2022, they made $10,000 million. I believe that is $10 billion. Most of it was in orange, which is foreign exchange market. So trading the currencies. There's some in the equity markets, which is stock, some in the interest rate markets as interest rates rise. Uh, some in commodities, which would include gold and silver. That's the red. You know, red is prominent on this chart. So there's a lot of commodities Manipulation, I don't necessarily mean manipulation in a bad way. I mean, from a trading perspective, that, that the four banks control. They manipulate by putting their positions in the paper market prices of hog futures, oil, gold and silver, sugar, all that stuff in the commodities markets, as well as all the other stuff. Now, I have a question for you, and I'm going to leave it rhetorical. If they're managing that, four banks are managing that for all of these different areas, could they not because they have all this trading positional data, being there's only four of them, could they not in some way affect what they're trading one market to make money in another? In other words, these are all intertwined. Interest rates, foreign exchange, equity, and commodities aren't wholly separate. Why? Commodities are determined, prices are determined by what? Currencies, value of currencies. What's that? That's the foreign exchange market. Equities and the value of equities are also determined by interest rates on debt, they're determined by the prices of inputs to what they manufacture. They're determined by the relative value of the currencies there in which they, uh, countries are domiciled and they trade in. Equities is determined by all those things. So as risk changes in these other markets, it affects each and every other one. In other words, it's all a bastardized version of things together. So you cannot say commodity risk is only commodity risk. Equity risk is only equity risk. No, 
there are companies that use commodities that happen to be equities that happen to trade in foreign currencies that happen to be exposed to interest rate risk. That's why they're all intertwined. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how four banks control all of these markets. See, it's in a chart from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. All these astounding observations that you get, and you just read the public information straight from the government. They're telling you how they move the markets. This is fucking how. It's, it's with the derivatives. Because why? This is what sets the pricing. This is a pricing chart. And this tells you how four banks dominate the entire fucking derivative complex. It's not just the metals, ladies and gentlemen. It's all of it. All of it dominated by who? I'm being very dramatic here on purpose. Dominated by JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, and Goldman Sachs. Oh my goodness, it's not conspiracy theory. It's on the OCC report. Can you believe it? Let's go to figure 18. Here's where you get the precious metals. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to get through all this other stuff. Here's the one that sparked a bunch of interest on Twitter. What happened here? Can you see where one of these years, these are all years, one of these is not like the other. Which one would that be? Gee, it would be 2022, which would happen to be this year, which is not even over yet. And what is orange symbolic of? Well, according to the chart, precious metals. So the orange precious metal derivative exposures of those four big banks just went bonker nuts. Now, did it actually change? No. Why? Read this down here. Beginning January 1, 2022, this is the fine print, ladies and gentlemen. The largest banks, that would be the four that I just showed you, are required to calculate their derivative exposure amount for regulatory capital purposes using SACCR, standardized approach for CCR. Why did I show you CCR at the beginning? Because it explains to you why this is the money shot chart. I got to explain what it is before you understand the risk. Under the SACCR, gold derivatives right here are considered precious metal derivative contracts rather than an exchange rate derivative contract resulting in an increase in reported precious metals derivatives contracts compared to prior quarters. So if at any point in time prior to 2022, you looked at an OCC report and you thought you understood the derivative risk in the precious metals markets that the banks had, wrong, wrong, wrong. Any analyst who said they don't have a lot of risk in the precious metals market was full of shit because these were hidden. The precious metals were hidden in exchange rate. Why would they be hidden in exchange rate? Exchange rate is for what? Currencies. What are currencies? The dollar, the yuan, the pound, the yen, the loonie, and blob, the peso, the various versions of it. All of it. They were hiding gold and silver under the fucking foreign exchange currency risk so you didn't see it. And Basel requirement said you got to change it. Why? Why would they pull the metals, derivatives, numbers into their own category for the first time because it presents a, a pending clear and present danger to the balance sheets of the fucking banks. This is the admission that the metals derivatives will affect the solvency of the goddamn worldwide banking system, period, and a fucking story. And if anybody tells you different, it's in the OCC report right here. That's the only reason you separate that out. The only reason, because the whole point of the SACCR and Basel III and the OCC report is to measure solvency risk of the banks. The only reason, period, end of story. This is the money shot. I got more, but this is a money shot. It's proven that if they lose in the derivative markets for the precious metals, the four banks which dominate, which is in the same report, if they lose, whether they're long or short, and there's a run against them by the market, they're in deep shit. And it could cause the rest of the derivative complex to collapse. Why? Remember at the beginning of this presentation when I said 66% of the four largest banks, well, the whole banking system, but especially the four largest banks, collateral against default and derivatives, 200 trillion of them, 200 trillion. 
their equity is in cash. What's happened to all the fiat currencies? They're burning. What's happened to all of the fiat currencies over the history of the world? They've all collapsed. What else? Bonds. What's happening in the bonds? Rising interest rates. Pressure on bonds. Okay. Too much debt. And other things like equities. What's happened to the equity markets? Every time the equity market loses a percent, it drops the derivative coverage by the banks by an equal amount of the equity derivatives that they hold. You understand now, as the markets begin to turn over and collapse and we head into the next recession, it affects the solvency of a $200 trillion worldwide derivative market that could blow the fuck up and take the banking system down with it and cause us, cause the detonation of the Western precious metals derivative markets in which you would then see gold and silver explode for a bunch of different reasons. One, because the derivative markets don't determine anymore, it becomes more to a physically traded market and whoever wants to sell it at whatever price they want to and not the speculators and the hedge funds and the bullion banks who have been massively shorting it. And we showed on the commitment chairs report from the CFTC, I don't know, 100 times over the last two years. Okay, do you understand the significance of this? It's not just the metals, it's the entire banking system is facing a collapse when the next recession comes, period. End of story. Anybody tells you different, they don't know what they're talking about. On to page 46. So I got really animated there. This is fun. What the heck is this? Well, I wanted to talk about other derivatives. Notice that most of the current over-the-counter notional amounts of risk are actually in interest rates. In other words, as of this point in time, because interest rates are rising, the banks are taking on more interest rate derivative exposure. If they're wrong, rising interest rates on those interest rate derivatives could cause a solvency issue in the bank. It doesn't have to be the mortgage market blowing up. It doesn't have to be finding true prices in the metals. It doesn't have to be anything commodity related. It could just be interest rates could destroy these banks because they, you know, the, the, the derivative positions they have, they get moved against them, right? And so probably what they're doing is they're trying to take on additional exposure for rising interest rate environment, but that puts them at more risk if it ever falls. In other words, when they take on interest rate derivatives, it causes more overall risk, okay? And remember, the entire system is based upon assumptions in which nobody knows if any of this <laughs> is solvent to begin with. And that was in the paper I showed you earlier from the BIS and from uh, the FDIC and the OCC. They all basically said, these are all assumptions. These are all assumptions. We don't know. You can put whatever math you want behind it, but if the numbers in the math formula are all based on assumptions, that formula is only going to give you a number or a result based upon the validity of the information you put in. Dumbman Media, thank you for the contribution. Uh, he says, my bank randomly goes offline. And it's funny because I can't use my debit card when this happens. Might as well make a Celsius account. Yeah, the problem with banks is I've had all sorts of issues with banks. And banks are having liquidity issues right now. I could tell you where I went in to get cash and didn't have it. I could tell you where my ATM stopped working or I had to go get a new ATM card because my PIN mysteriously stopped working. I could tell you all sorts of cases. Now, could this be glitches? Sure. But it also could be the fact that they don't have a lot of solvency. Right? All right, now. There's one more chart I'm debating on whether to show you because it talks about value. Oh, you know, I think I'm going to show it to you. Of course. Of course. I'm going to show it to you. Why wouldn't I show it to you? We're telling the truth, aren't we, here on Gold Silver Pros? Cowboy Metals, live. So figure 22. Average 60-day value at risk. Now, value at risk, without going into super detail, is basically <laughs> what they could lose. It's the value of their derivatives that they could lose. Value at risk. Look at the spike for JP Morgan. Look at the spike for Goldman Sachs. Blowing the hell up. Which are the two banks that dominate the positions in the precious metals market on the COMEX? JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, there are others, but those are the two big dogs. And guess what? Their risk, their value at risk, not only in the metals derivatives, but across the derivatives, is blowing the hell up right now, according to the OCC. 
right now. Why? Market crashing. Interest rates. All the mortgage money, all the derivatives I've been talking about. All of them could be black swans and causing insolvency in the banking system. Uh, I wanted to show you something about currency because remember, 66.7% of these $200 trillion in derivatives are covered by some sort of cash reserve. So what happens when the fiat currencies lose value? Here's the US dollar since 1900. It's lost value. Why? Because maybe they printed a whole crap-ass ton of it. That's monetary-based total from the Fed. Here's the M1. Why they printed a whole crap ton of it there and went from $4 trillion to 20-something trillion in a year during the pandemic in 2020. What about M0, trading economics? Way up. TMS, way up, although I'm going to show you what happens when it goes down. Power of the dollar over time. Another one. So if those, if two-thirds of the $200 trillion and derivative risk in the, in, the, in the banking system is covered by fiat currencies, which are all imploding over time in terms of valuation. Let's think about this for a minute. Let's say you have 200 trillion derivatives, two thirds of that's covered by currencies. What is that? 120, 120, 130 trillion of that 200 trillion is covered by currencies. And the currencies are doing this. How much confidence do you have that the banks are actually covered by the currencies that they hold that are quickly falling apart and losing value over time because of all this garbage, all this printing by the Fed. How solvent are the banks? The assumption made by OCC and the BIS is that if you had cash, you're covered. But that's only when cash keeps its purchasing power relative to everything else. And we know that's not happening. This goes to the point of assumptions. The assumption that cash can cover your derivatives is blown apart by the fact that you're reducing the value of that cash over time due to the central bank, period, end of freaking story. Chart one, chart two, chart three, chart four, chart five, chart six, chart seven, the DXY. It ain't as good as it was back then, although it's not doing too bad. It's way below where it was. I don't care how you measure currencies. I don't care if you do the basket approach, the DXY. You just do dollar to a basket of goods. You talk about monetary aggregates like TMS or M0 or M1 or monetary base or whatever these people want to put out. Two thirds of the, the derivatives complex is losing value and it's not in their fucking equation. That's insanity. <laughs> it's stupid insanity. It's stupid insanity. Meaning the Fed can't bail out the banks. Think about this for a minute. Let's get real here for just a minute. Can the Fed bail out the banks by printing more money? No, because every time it prints money, it causes inflation in the money supply. That works its way through the system to where it causes an inflation of prices and a devaluation of that currency. If all the currencies in the world are debasing, a race to the bottom, how much of the derivatives complex is covered by the declining value of that cash when two-thirds of the, the collateral for all the 200 trillion derivatives is in cash? And nobody talks about that in any of these papers. They don't talk about it. <laughs> Why? The assumption is made that a dollar yesterday is worth a dollar today. We know it's not true. It's not true. So as the value of the currencies declines because the central banks are printing out oblivion, they're destroying their own commercial banking system. And nobody's going to know because the formulas won't tell you because of the assumption that a dollar today is worth a dollar tomorrow. And guess what? It's not. Or the further assumption that you'll be able to have enough dollars to cover the derivatives. We know that's not true because we've never printed $200 trillion. $200 trillion. Okay. We have $200 trillion of derivatives. There's more derivatives in dollars. So if you print more dollars to cover the derivatives, it's a loser's game because the value of the dollar falls faster than what you can print to cover the derivatives because there's too many derivatives. It's a loser's game. End of story. It's over. Okay. So am I being hyperbolic when I say why the banking system is now facing systemic collapse? No. I use the government's own documents and their own math and their own calculus and their own formulas to show one, the entire system is based on a formula in which they has a bunch of assumptions they don't know are for true. So the whole thing can't be considered scientific. It's a guess. It's a guesstimate. Okay. Two, the collateral they're using for the derivatives is all sorts of screwed up. Three, 
we proved that not only are four banks manipulating the precious metals markets up and down to make, and that they're making money hammer fist, they're doing it for the whole derivative complex. The same guys control 200 trillion derivatives, not just the metals. Are you getting the picture here? This system works until it doesn't. It's a confidence system. As soon as confidence dies in the currencies or in the markets or the markets start crashing, the whole thing goes to crap because the derivatives will crash. It'll take down the banks. It'll take down the banks. They won't be liquid. They'll be insolvent. They're gone. So when you have the stock market, the bond market, the commodities markets, all coming under pressure, rising interest rates, rising inflation, the whole derivative complex gets really risky. And what they have to combat that risk is one of the things that's busy blowing the fuck up. You can't save it by printing money. You can't. So going back to my previous videos on Basel III, the NSFR, and gold, why they specifically call it gold this time, it's the only asset in the NSFR, the only one that has no banking counterparty risk. Gold is the only fucking thing holding up the banking system. And it will be the only thing holding up the banking system when it all collapses. Period. End of fucking story. Done. Over. And I just proved it with the OCC report. I put it right in front of your face. You can look at the links. You can go and read it for yourself. Gold is the only thing. Silver, to a lesser extent, is a smaller market. Gold and silver are the only thing holding up the banking system. When it crashes, guess where all that value goes? Remember Extra's Pyramid. In my conversation with Ian last week on Extra's Pyramid, it goes to things of real tangible value. Gold and silver, not the goddamn derivatives, not the fiat currencies, not the bonds, not the stocks, not the cash, none of it. That's why Extra was right in his pyramid. When the system starts to collapse, it all folds into itself and goes down the precious metals. And that's why Basel III, for the first time, explicitly talked about valuing gold and silver. Very explicitly. They mentioned it before, but this was explicit. Because they realize if, if the value of these other things collapse in the banking system, what are you going to have? Gold. So who's going to come out on top? When this thing comes down, the people that will come out on top have the most gold. Who has the most gold? China and Russia, not the U.S. We're supposed to have 8,000 tons, which hadn't been audited in almost 70 years. Greenspan has said that they would sell gold into the market to stabilize the dollar. Volcker has said that they would intervene in the gold and silver markets. The whole reason the Exchange Stabilization Fund exists is to intervene in the markets, including gold and silver. We don't have the gold and silver we have before. There's no proof. When it goes down, those people that hold gold and silver are going to be solvent, whether from a sovereign perspective or an individual perspective or a banking perspective, period. End of story. That is the insanity of the derivative system and why I just proved beyond a shadow of a doubt using the government's own information why the banking system is now facing systemic collapse, period. As long as the markets hold up, but what's happened this year? What changed this year? Interest rates went up. Inflation went up. Markets crash. That's what's freaking out the Fed. That's what's freaking out the politicians. That's what's freaking out everybody who understands what I just showed you. That's why there's so much going on in the political cycle right now to draw your attention away. They want to draw your attention away from the coming collapse because it's going to be nasty and ugly. And if you don't have gold silver, you ain't going to make it. Okay? That's how fragile this entire system is. And I brought you a whole crap ton of information to show you that. And thank you for everybody that's been patient with me as I put this together. It took me a long time to go and understand, make sure I had this right. Understood it, found the right sources. I did. We will post the links for this. I don't know if they're in the description now. There will be by the end of the day. We'll put the links to all this stuff. I'll do it myself. If you have questions, ask them here. Super chats. Hit me up on Twitter. Email me. If I get enough interest, I'll do another video and we'll break down some of this in pieces to help you out. 
But remember, I gave you the documents for your own research. Don't listen to anything I say. I'm not your financial advisor. Not licensed anymore. Okay. I haven't been in freaking forever, over a decade. Don't want to be. Don't care to be. Don't hold myself out as a financial advisor. Do your own research. But I provided you the source documents and my take on it. And I think this is pretty explosive stuff. What's going to happen to gold and silver? Gold will be the basis of the new banking system, period. Gold is the only thing that doesn't have massive counterparty risk. The only thing that will back up the banking system when the derivatives complex blows, and it will blow because of the bonds and the stocks and the cash all going to crap at the same time, which they are, which we see. And the only way out of that system is own gold and silver, period. Period. Exclamation point. Highlight the sentence. Share it with all your friends. All right. That's it. <laughs> That's it in a nutshell. Thank you guys for joining. I'm going to look for a couple of quick questions. I don't see any super chats. Oh, Philip or Philippe, I'm sorry. Witterzeal says, where do you see platinum? Platinum is an industrial metal. It is a precious metal, but it's never been truly monetary. I have supposed that at some point in time, platinum will catch a little bit of the monetary bid when people run out of gold and silver. It may, but really it's a monetary metal. That goes as inflation, or I'm sorry, rising or lowering of world GDP. I won't use inflation or deflation. I'll just say world GDP. If world GDP falls, you'll use less platinum in the automotive sector. If world GDP rises, you'll use more platinum. That will determine platinum's price and palladium to an extent as well. Thank you for the question, Philippe. I appreciate that. Um, let me see. Peter Freund says 95% of the general public have no clue what is coming. That's true. So Peter and you and everybody else, share the video, share the video, share the video with everybody as quick as you can, please share the video. Uh, Kevin W says, gold is the only metal that holds no counterparty risk. End of story, silver will help, no doubt. You're right, Kevin, I, I agree with you. I still don't see any other questions. Um, <laughs> appreciate the donation by Dumb Money Media. Stop by his channel on YouTube where he does awesome memes. Dumb Money Media, that's advertisement for you. And thank you, Conroy, for being a good friend. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining the program. I've answered all the questions you've had. I know that this is so complex. You're going to hit me with more. Hit me on Twitter. Hit me in the comments. Email me. And what I'll do is I'll put together another presentation if it makes sense, or I'll just answer them there. I know it's complex. I try to break it down in bite-sized chunks for you guys. I think people on the other side of this wall in my apartment complex are probably going to complain to the manager because I was so loud today. Sorry about that, guys. But this is a super important topic. This is the video that everybody needs to watch. The last, the ones I did on Basel, the Perth Mint are good. Um, the one I did on the BIS plan to implement CBDCs is good. But I think this may be one of the most important videos I've ever done. And I'm not saying that just to get you to watch it. I'm saying it because it's true, because we're talking about the whole enchilada here. The big dog, the big, the big one. This is the big one. Okay. This is where you try to fit that Chipotle sized burrito in your mouth and it doesn't fit. It's the big one. <laughs> okay. Thank you for dissonant agnostic for the contribution in the question. He's, he asks, do you think Max Kaiser will ever shoot his lame horse in the head and buy gold? <laughs> so Max Kaiser was for a long time, a supporter of gold. He's now a Bitcoin evangelist. I think you can see that in his videos. He said, I, I think recently I saw him denigrating gold. I think he knows gold and the real value of the system. I think he's just on a Bitcoin kick, but I think he does own gold. I, I think it would be silly for Max Kaiser not to own gold. Because look at what happened in the market crash. Bitcoin came down. Gold and silver straight across, held steady. The rest of the complex, what does that show you? Gold and silver said the bottom of extra's pyramid, true value in your hands. Max knows that he's not dumb. So forgive the guy for going on a Bitcoin kick. If he wants to do Bitcoin, it's fine. I know he's been negative towards gold lately, but the guy understands gold. He, for years, has talked about gold, for years. And so I'll give him the respect that he's due. I know he understands the gold market. Thank you for the question and the contribution from Dissident Agnostic. Last question I'm going to take from, again, from Philippe. He says, what will the governments do when they come with a new monetary system backed by gold? Will they claim private gold? I don't think they're going to outlaw gold because not too many people own it anymore. But I think I've said before, they're going to tax it and or put other schemes in place to make it hard to trade. And I think that's going to form a black market in gold and silver. And I think people still trade anyway but you may have to run afoul of the law to do it. I'm not advocating you do that. I'm not advocating lawlessness, but look, at the end of the day, 
the government puts you in a position where you're starving to death. You have no job, no money, inflation's running rampant, the derivatives complex has crashed, and they tell you you can't use gold and silver. You may have to figure out whether you follow that or not. I'm not telling you whether to or not, but you got to make the decision best for you. I know what I'm going to do. Okay, that's going to do it for today, guys. We've been ranting and raving for, oh my goodness, an hour and seven minutes. This has been a really long one. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the channel. Thank you, everybody, for coming to see the research. Thank you, everybody, for the questions. Thank you, everybody, for doing the poll. We'll end the poll. 72% saying, no, the banks are not solvent. And I think you're correct. And I think this presentation showed why. Please, please share this with as many people as you can. It's important. This is a big one. A big one, a big one, a big one. And that's why I waited so long to bring it to you. But it's so very important that people see this. People that you share it with, plant the seed even if they don't get it now. Because you never know when that person's going to go buy some gold and silver and help save their family from what I think is going to be a massive collapse in the derivative complex and the banking system. And I've said that for 12 years now. Very first set of articles I wrote on Seeking Alpha talked about this. I've been talking about this for a long time. And again, for people who want to criticize what we do here, I've had licenses. I've traded a lot of markets. I've worked for, for different financial companies. I've written for 12 years, been syndicated across the internet. I'm not a newbie to the space. I've been doing this a long time. And I was a former auditor for 12 years. I know how to read these documents. I know how to interpret risk. I was in risk management roles in corporate America for 25 years. Big Fortune 15 companies, big banks, big airlines, big telecommunication companies. I understand risk and I was trained formally in corporate risk departments. I do have qualifications to talk about this. I know there's going to be people say you're just a YouTuber. Forget that. It doesn't matter the medium I'm on. It matters the information I provide and the experience that I have. And I think you guys see what you get on this channel. It's not a bunch of goofy crap like a lot of channels. We talk about real stuff here. And I appreciate you guys supporting us. I'm going to sign off until next time. It's Rob Keynes of Gold Silver Pros. Thank you, guys.